is the Frederick Faith Debate. That's what you're looking for. You found the right place. I'm Troy Skinner. I want to thank our sponsor, Putman Plumbing and Heating. How can we make you smile? You can visit, visit us online at WFMD.com, keyword faith. There you will find a Monday through Friday daily updated blog. And basically what I do is I post your emails to me. So email me, Troy at WFMD.com. And try to keep it clean if you would. Uh, that's why I don't ever post anything Jonathan sends me. Jonathan Schweitzer, senior pastor of Crossroads Valley Chapel. He just can't so keep it clean. I just need to cleanse it. I need to consecrate it. I need to wash it. You need to baptize it before you send that email. Right. That's right. I will. Uh, repent, Jonathan. The kingdom of God is at hand. Sweetheart, why is the computer not working? Huh? I had to baptize it. Troy <laughs> said something about cleaning things up. And you're going to have double the pleasure today. Not only am I, Troy Skinner, on the show today, but... He, Troy Wallace, is on the show today. We're like the Double Mint Twins. He's a director of Revive Israel North America. Uh, you can find them online at reviveisrael.org. He's also assistant congregational leader at El Shaddai Congregation. That is a, a Messianic Jewish um, group, congregation here in Frederick. And Jonathan's uh, been putting a gun to my head and forcing me to talk about Frederick 48. You can help out the the, the cause. There are people in need. Seriously, all joking yeah. aside for Amen. a moment. There are people in serious need. There are people right now that have it worse than you. I know. It's hard to believe, right? You have it so bad, but people have it worse than you. It's true. There's at least one person that has it worse than you, and that person needs your help. So go to Frederick 48. It's Frederick the number four, the number eight, right? That's the correct. Dot org. And you can make your choice. Pick the organization you want to support and then say, I support them. Or I think there's an option saying, I don't know which one I want to support. You guys, I'm going to trust the leadership of Frederick 48 to figure out where the greatest need is. No, sorry. Right? Actually, that's not an option. That's not an option? <laughs> you have to choose. Oh, didn't it? You, you just got to go on the site. It is true that, that we list them in order of uh, those groups that, that are most at the point of like homelessness and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Which is the Religious Coalition, the Seton Center. Um, so uh, there's a hierarchy in the these. way they're ordered. Yeah, yeah. It's not alphabetical. It's yeah. based on highest level of need. So yeah. if you feel like, oh, yeah, that they have the highest level of need and that, that uh, you know, stirs my spirit, I'm going to give to them. But if for whatever reason, whatever's at the top of the list doesn't do it for you, you'd rather support somebody else, support somebody else. Because, again... I know you can't believe it, but there is somebody worse off than you, and they need your help. And Pittsburgh did this last year, and they raised $5.9 million in one day. So we're going to do $6.1 million That's just right. to beat Let's those Pittsburgh guys. <laughs> huh? Ravens fans, you're going to let those Steelers Come fans outdo you like on. that? Huh? Redskins and Ravens fans, you're going to let the Steelers do that to you? I almost, said, I almost said who let the dogs out, but that's uh, that's uh, Philadelphia. And that's so an old steel mill that. community that's have, having tougher economic times than our... Uh, our, our economy with the with all the government jobs and yeah. stuff, right? So if they can raise almost six million dollars, then we can do it. We can do it. Hoo hoo! Thank you for, <laughs> right. for helping out with that. Okay, so what am I reading? I know you care. How to talk so people will listen by Steve Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Could you say that again? I wasn't listening. Yeah, that's what we're all about here. We're going to talk that. today in a way that you will listen. That's what we aim to do. So we've been talking about the the, the end of the world, basically. You know, really uplifting, fun stuff, which it is actually. I yes. agree. That's a that's a misperception. Actually, it's out there. It's a it's a good thing. Jesus' return and the end of the world as we know it is a good thing because there are people that have it worse than you out there. Mm. I mean, so think about the way we frame that. <laughs> right? That was good. You've got it tough in life. There yeah. are people worse than you. It's hard. We are yearning for the day of Christ's return. Groaning with <laughs> expectation. Know? It's a good thing. Yes. I hope the Mayan calendar is right. Mm. You know? <laughs> Seriously. I have my doubts, but 
Yeah, I, I do hope yes, for it. Yes. I, I have my doubts too. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, ask, uh, ask ask Harold Camping what he thinks about these things. <laughs> um, or not. Or not. Okay, so we're talking about um, the end of the world, Jesus' return, and we've been talking uh, most recent in our most recent shows about the role of modern-day Jews and present-day Israel kind of in that, the unfolding of that, and what that means. And we were talking about promises made uh, in the Old Testament uh, that are still to be fulfilled, the idea of Jesus sitting on an earthly th- throne of David right. uh, forever, right. promises made to Abraham and that his people uh, uh, would be in the land forever, and things like that. It's kind of where we left off. And Jonathan wanted, I think, to pick up on the whole forever idea and talk about that. So, Yeah, I'm I'm just going through all the... There's a, a whole slew of um, passages in the Old Testament, uh, in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and the Torah that talk about those things that are forever. And uh, uh, the pattern that I'm seeing, I, I guess I want to ask you what you guys have studied about that, because you guys follow uh, still the um, uh, the festivals. Sure. And uh, we certainly are of the opinion that the uh, sacrificial law was fulfilled in Christ. And so it's still forever that those sacrifices are necessary. It's just mm-hmm. that Christ is the one that, that fulfills that. Right. So that's still a forever thing. Sure. Uh, the Sabbath is considered a forever thing that will go through all of history, you know, working six, I mean, through all of uh, eternity, working for six days and resting on the seventh. I mean, uh, how how do you guys, uh, the Messianic Jewish, you know, the tikkun crowd, do, do you get into the forevers on that? And, and how strongly do you take that? Because some of that passed away for the Gentiles. We don't have to follow it anymore. Sure. But you're the, are you of the opinion that it's going to be restored uh, at some point, like, say, in the millennium? And- well, I, I think Zechariah 14 gives us a little bit of a touch on the holidays. It doesn't... Isaiah, Isaiah 66 deals with the Sabbath a little bit, but Zechariah 14 talks about of all of those who are left, uh, who have come up against Jerusalem. Right. Uh, of all of those who are left, those who don't come up to worship the king in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles won't have any rain on their land. So I do think that there's uh And your understanding is that's a millennium that's thing. Yes. That's the it, millennium. Right. That's my thought on the matter. Uh, in the present tense, the idea of Gentile people keeping the Feast of the Lord as a requirement yeah. was clearly not uh, articulated by Acts 15 Council, by James and the Brethren. In, in fact, Jerusalem. we're released from it, and then... Uh, Paul goes on to say in Galatians that those who celebrate special days and in uh, months and in years, you know that kind of thing. That uh, that in in that context, my sense is he's speaking to the Gentiles, not the Jews. That that you are not to go back under those things, right? And let them impose that on you. We've been set free. And, it's and, for freedom that Christ set us free. Yeah, and I've also heard Jonathan, somebody else, take. From a Messianic Jewish point of view, yeah. take those scriptures and contextualize them with Paul writing to a primarily a pagan audience and the days that the pagan government in their city would want them to come under. So it's Christmas and Easter well, that he's talking I, about. I wouldn't say that. As opposed to the Passover but it's, it's and parallel, Feast of Tabernacles. It's parallel to eating food sacrificed to idols. I bet you don't like Halloween either. Actually, I don't. <laughs> and, and if you want to know, well, that's another Thanksgiving? story. Thanksgiving? 
I like Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think it's a good Fourth thing. Of July. It's always good to give thanks to God. And there's some connection, perhaps, between the pilgrims' view of giving thanks and the, the festival of the harvest sure. of the Feast of Tabernacles. To so, okay, so all that being the case, what you're saying is that you're unclear on how much those things refer to the festivals, uh, the the Jewish well, holidays. You are asking days. it in the context of Gentiles, yeah, Jonathan. I am. I, I want you to know when it comes to Jewish people in our community or our approach to yeah. Jewish responsibility to recognize and observe the Sabbath and the feasts of the Lord, that, that's not even a question. It yeah. goes without question that that would be true. That absolutely, would be a part of what you because do. of the forevers that you've already referred to that are specific to the context of the people of Israel. And so you're not sure what you think about whether or not those would be restor- restored forever in the millennium. No, I think that that Israel will celebrate them forever, both in the millennium and when you, Jesus turns the kingdom over to the Father. That's, the point that's, is they were given to Israel absolutely, forever. Absolutely, because though the there will Sabbath. be no need for the sun and the moon, the sun and the moon are likely to still exist both in the millennial period and after that when the new Jerusalem comes or the heavenly Jerusalem comes all the way down to the earth. Uh, and so it also says that the Aaronites, I always call them that, the sons of Aaron, uh, will be uh, priests, priests forever. forever. Right, which is... The, is that Christ? Does Christ represent that? I'm not so sure that he doesn't represent that, but in his representation, does that do away with the promises to the Kohen, the priests? Which, by the way, Kohen. my wife's last name is Cohen. She's descended from Aaron. Mm. So I think of my son as yeah. literally connected to those, to yeah. that people. So, again, that and informs so if my Christ, worldview. And so, so, so in the Messianic Jewish worldview, if those things are forever, is there a little bit of a sense that you guys are kind of keeping your eyes out and see if you can find some of those that are returning to Christ and look to install them in some kind of a special role in your congregations? Well, in Judaism, there's a continuity. The, the the priestly blessing from number six uh, uh, of the Lord bless you and keep you, make your face shine upon you, be gracious to you, extend his countenance toward you and give you peace. In in a, in the Jewish synagogue service today, only a Kohen would stand up and do that blessing. So in many Messianic Jewish congregations, yeah, including I've heard Todd the, Westfall do, do yeah, it. Yeah, he does do it. He's Todd not, sings it like all over the city at different events. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's not from Aaron. Mm-mm-mm-mm. He's not. So... But in many Messianic congregations, they would reserve that privilege for someone who is descended from Aaron. Oh, so they really, they actually do that? They do. Not all, but some do. Not exclusive, but certainly to honor God's covenant to the sons of Aaron that last forever. And, and by at, the way, Jesus isn't a son of Aaron. He's a son of David. Is it, so is you, it possible you, that there's some Aaronite blood in there? In Jesus? Yeah. Oy, I'd have to go back through his that was good. <laughs> it took us five shows to get an oi out of well, Troy. You know, <laughs> an oi Troy. Sorry. I, I suppose anything's <laughs> possible as far as you know, different interbreeding or something. Right. But yeah. from Scripture, we have no reason to think so because he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not from the order of Aaron. Correct. So we have no biblical basis for thinking that. And I, that, I agree with Troy on the, on that point. And, and and that would go back actually more into you know those who would be more uncomfortable with the Messianic Jewish view on this is saying you know it's not all about the promises just to Israel and even just to Abraham. It goes back even further. It goes back to the very first promise in, in the earliest parts of Genesis and the promise of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Sure. Right. And that seed of the woman 
is then represented by by guys like Seth and uh, and, and Noah and uh, uh, Seth Arfaxad Mahalel. You know him uh, good. You can keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See the one you can trace it out, and it goes and Keenan, and it comes through Enoch, Noah and, and his Lamech, son, and Noah. then it ends up coming up on Abraham. Right, and so he, it's a continuation of the seed of the woman. So it's all pointing to and centering on on Christ, and the the and that would be a, I think a key argument for those who would be on a different from a different theological school to say, look, it's not about Israel. Jesus isn't a priest in the Israel sense; he's a priest in an extra Israel sense because it's not about Israel except for Israel being a continuation of that seed of the woman and a protectorate of the seed of the woman and a, an example to the rest of the world. Right. So I'm sure. But I don't think that because it gets bigger than Israel, that Israel's role is somehow diminished or done away with. I mean, it's like I sometimes I think about it in terms of the presidents of the United States. George Washington is no longer the president, but that doesn't destroy or do away with his legacy as the first president. The same thing is true of Israel. But George Washington, as far as I know, doesn't have a role to play in getting Jesus back to earth in the future context. However, my understanding of biblical prophecy has is still connects to Israel's role to play in inviting the king of Israel, which is what it says on the cross above his head. I know it was mocking, but it was a true statement to come back to Israel, but not just for Israel's sake, Troy. It's for the sake of peace on earth. It's the whole goal of the progressive liberal mentality is to have peace on earth. It's just that we're not going to achieve it from the innate goodness of mankind's heart. We're going to achieve it from seeing it exemplified in Jesus, the son of David and the son of God sitting in a chair in Jerusalem, distributing equitably economy, land, the environment, everything is going to happen from him and through him. And I think that the promises to Israel are part of that coming all the way full. So I would agree with you that it's, to, to use your vernacular, it's all about Christ. It all points to Christ. Absolutely. But that doesn't do away with the role of Israel, both in the past, in the present, and in the future well, context. No, well, nobody's getting rid of the past. Um, the, the question is about the present and what that means for the future. Yeah, but those right. that would say that it's all about Christ and Christ is Israel. Christ is true Israel. So, well, I wouldn't even, you don't then, even need to put the qualifier on then it. And everything is Christ was a Jew. No, but he's absolutely. No, but and he than, is presently in the present age. But more than being a Jew, he is the Jew, the preeminent Jew. He is the Israel. He is what Israel is supposed to be. He was what all those failed kings didn't live up to. He is the perfect David. Uh, yeah, I agree right? with you all the way. And so everybody says so everything, I want is, everything is, a, is comes through and comes to fruition in Christ, in Jesus, and those are fulfilled in Israel. Guess what? Israel is Jesus. So everything comes together. So there's no need for a geopolitical Israel. There's no need for a present. This would be an argument from those who would Sure, absolutely. Right. So, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, this is where I was saying the geopolitical part is confusing. It, it's, I'm not... Uh, I see geopolitical Israel playing a role, which is to get a people group in a place so that God can breathe into the dry bones in the words of Ezekiel or in the words of Zechariah so that once they're gathered there, he can pour out on them a spirit of grace and supplication and open a fountain, a fountain for repentance and cleansing from sin. 
But there's a need to be regathered in order for that restoration to take place. Uh, uh, I think that that's part of what we see in geopolitical Israel. But geopolitical Israel is like geopolitical the United States. They don't do everything right. They're not operating from uh, uh, the word of the Lord or or following God or having repented. They're uh, you know socialist utopian uh, people that are seeking to see something on the earth. Now the interesting thing is is that. Even as the founders of, of Israel and the Zionists, they saw in themselves, even as many of them didn't believe in God in the religious sense of the word, absolutely saw themselves as the fulfillment of biblical promises. It, the ability to separate that completely wasn't there because all of a sudden they're being given out of the ashes of the Holocaust the opportunity to regather and protect themselves from another Holocaust. I mean, there's there's a reality there that's physical and literal, independent of what our theological disposition is, and that had we're seeing that happen. But unto what purpose? That's the question that I would wonder. And the rabbis see that that they're gathered to welcome the Messiah back. But how are they going to welcome the Messiah back? They're going to welcome the Messiah back by more strict religious observance, whereas. In our worldview, the Messianic Jewish worldview, we see that Israel's fulfilling that role to invite the Messiah back by calling on the name of Jesus. What's the context in which Israel could possibly call on the name of Jesus? It's a tribulation period. And I'm not saying that because I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be terrible. Lots of friends and family live in Israel for me. But what? That's, I think that's the only context, given the history of clash between the Jewish people and Christians who represent the name of Jesus on the earth by killing Jewish people in, in masses throughout the ages. And we know that from 50 years ago, by the way. I mean, Hitler had a theological framework built by Hit, built by Luther in the end of days when well, he was angry. I don't know if that's fair. I, I think he had a theological framework based more on eugenics and Buddhism than Christianity. Right, but he used Luther's argument to justify himself to the church, and the church swallowed it in the in mass. Yeah, not really, the, not the evangelical church, though. Right, that was the well, liberal theologians of okay. Central Europe at the time. That wasn't the Bible-believing evangelical Christians. Well, and I think right. that the Bible-believing evangelical evangelical Christians, for the most part can can see the continued and ongoing role of Israel. I know that there's exceptions to that, and, and I'm not here to condemn anyone that has those exceptions. I think, think that they're still, quote-unquote, saved. I think that they have a real, genuine faith in Jesus. I just don't think that the that the uh, uh that they always connect to those literal promises which is why so much of our conversation has been about uh, spiritual spiritualizing things that also have a literal interpretation uh so yeah well, i think they would probably argue because i mean i've i've studied this for a long long time because i was once uh, involved in a church that was very they were more literal than even you're willing to go believe it or, i mean the, the way hyper literal on things, and that was like know, the snake handling. That was my that was my context in high school. No, well, and so, anyways, yeah, yeah, but so anyway, I I have been drifting further and further and further from that view over the years as I've wrestled with trying to understand it, and I I agree with the language, but I think I I mean something different by the use of the language. I believe that they are fulfilled literally and physically and in the natural world, but not necessarily through the geopolitical nation of Israel, not necessarily through the ethnic Jews. Not necessarily through a Jewish religion, but still literal. Mm. So we, you know, I think that there's you know, where try, there's a divide. I, I want to challenge that. 
I've recently been trying to do a study of all of the places where Paul uses the word Jew and the word Israel. Because as I've talked with you, my understanding is that you're of the opinion that that we are Israel now, that we are uh, the the new Jew, that, that in that sense that that um, that the church is uh, is fulfilled Israel. And every place that I look in the New Testament where Israel and Jew is used, uh, it is very reasonable, from what I can tell, to assume that Paul is referring not to the church, but referring specifically to uh, to the people that are blood lineage from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, down through Moses and the 12 tribes, uh, who have chosen to to accept Christ and to walk in God's purposes and humility. In none of those places do I see the word Israel or the word Jew used in such a way that I as a Gentile would say, oh, he's referring to me right now. But I think that you do. And uh, and uh, and when I look at those different places like uh, uh, Romans uh, chapter 9, not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel, you know, and, and uh, because not be- nor because they are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? I think in that context, you say, "Well, I'm Abraham's child too, because I'm I'm by faith." You know, uh, and and all who come to God by faith are Abraham's children. And I don't think that Paul can be construed in that place to to be expanding Israel to all those people that that are of Abraham's faith, i.e., Gentiles, but that he's specifically referring to the blood. Uh, children of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, that also are of the faith of Abraham. And I I, I would encourage you to study that out. So he's going to say that all who are blood children of Abraham, some of them aren't really blood children of Abraham? Is that what what you're saying he's saying there? No, what what, what I'm saying is that all who are blood children of Abraham are not Israel. That there are some that are blood children of Abraham that are not Israel. And what does he mean by that? He's saying that Isaac... And Ishmael were children, blood children, but only the child of promise was true Israel. Okay. And so the key is that you're living according to the promises and you're walking in the purposes of God. He says the same thing with Esau and Jacob. Both of them were blood children, but Esau uh, and his children were not the children of promise. It came through Jacob, and in the same way... But the ones who were Esau were never Israel. He's saying that all those who are Israel are Israel, so they were they would have never been Israel. He's saying... So he, so, no, no, the context there is that nor... He, he says two things, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his children. There's two different arguments. Nor because they are his children are they all Abraham's children. And so he says, on the contrary, through Isaac, your offspring will, will be reckoned. But the first uh, part of that where he says not all who are uh, of Israel are Israel. Right? Isn't that the very first thing he said? Yeah. All who are descendants of Jacob yeah. are not all descendants of Jacob. And so How can you understand that if you're not going to put a spiritual component to it? Right. And so I am putting a spiritual component to it, but I'm limiting it to all those who are children of Jacob. Right. He deals with he deals with uh, Jacob. Uh, he deals with Isaac and then he deals with Jacob because he's leading up to Jacob. The the children of Israel are sons of right. Jacob. Right. That That's the key. Right. So They're sons saying, of Jacob. Right. So not all who are sons of Jacob are truly Israel. That's what he's saying. And, and, and so what, he's not saying that you as a Gentile no, are now true Israel. No, but what does it mean to be truly Israel? What it means to be truly, truly Israel is two things. One, that you are blood 
uh, child of Jacob, and two, that you are truly walking in the purposes of God. Okay. And And so it's limited. It's not including Gentiles. He's not expanding it to include Gentiles. He's saying that this deals with those that, that are descendants of Jacob, but that live by faith, that those are true Israel. Is Rahab Israel? Uh, Rahab was grafted in. Okay, there you go. That's what I'm saying. Right, but my point is, is that but the way that the Paul uses Israel, Israel's. So you purpose. walked right away from my argument. My, my argument is that when he uses the word Israel and he uses the word Jew, he is always referring to the descendants of Jacob, the blood descendants of Jacob. But he's making the distinction that many of those people walked away from the purposes of God. And then he argues that we have been grafted into the tree, but at no point does he say, so now you're Israel also. He just says, now we are part of God's family, but he never uses the language Israel at but that point. If I believe that I'm a brother of Christ, yeah, then I am in Christ's family. And if Christ is an Israelite, in fact, he's true Israel, I would say, then I am true Israel with him. And I think that's a failure to get the bigger picture. Israel is the first. I think first that's an absolute perfect grasp of the big picture. I'm sure. Understand. I'm sure. I totally, I totally ripped on you, so I can see why I elicited defensiveness out of you. I apologize for doing that. Uh, it, what he's saying is that Israel is is the firstborn. So you don't have to be part of the firstborn first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, in order to be part of the family. You're okay. still a part of the family, even if you're not part of Israel, because his family was always intended to be bigger than just the firstborn. Well, first the, for the, the Jew, then for the Abraham. Gentile, for all nations. Blessing and so the to blessing Abraham. to Abraham Bless was going to go to all nations, but he's the firstborn. He's the first part of that. Well, as always, we end in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> Jonathan Switzer, senior pastor That's of Crossroads the Valley Chapel. I've gotten the last word for like a couple weeks. And uh, Troy Wallace is director of Revive Israel North America and assistant congregational leader at El Shaddai Congregation. I'm Troy Skinner. Thanks to Putman Plumbing and Heating. How can we make you smile? Uh, visit us online, WFMD.com, keyword faith. And I don't know, did we talk in a way that people would listen today? Did we do that? How to talk? <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. 167 and a half hours from now, we'll, uh, we'll continue. Until hold then. <laughs> no, please okay, don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. God bless. Here at Putman Plumbing, we make a living by servicing our customers' needs, but we make our life by how we service our clients. The Putman Plumbing way combines value, ethics, honest answers, and amazing service because we believe you deserve it. Putman Plumbing, how can we make you smile?